Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there and welcome to this, the WP Builds Weekly WordPress Podcast. This is number 167, entitled How I Use Agile and WordPress to Launch a Minimal Viable Product with Marius Vitrici. It was published on Thursday the 20th of February 2020. My name's Nathan Wrigley, and before we begin, I would like to point you to a few bits and pieces that WP Builds do throughout the week. So, for example, we put out a podcast every Thursday. You're listening to it right now. But also on a Monday, we do two things. I produce a WP Builds weekly WordPress news, and I sum up the, the weekly news for the previous week. It's in audio form, and there are links in the show notes. And also at 2 p.m. UK time, we do a live version of that, and I'm joined on the screen by some notable WordPress people. You can subscribe to the newsletter at wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. And if you do that, you will be alerted every time we produce a piece of content. If you want to watch the live version of the show, you can either join our Facebook group at wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook or go to wpbuilds.com forward slash live at 2 p.m. UK time. All of the links and ways to subscribe can actually be found on one handy page that I've just mentioned, wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. There's a couple of newsletters, there's links to our Facebook group and YouTube channels and so on and so forth. So that's a good one. Another thing I'd like to mention, wpbuilds.com forward slash deals. It's a bit like Black Friday, but every day of the week, a searchable and filterable list of WordPress products. You never know, you might be in the market for something this week and it might well be on that page. So that's wpbuilds.com forward slash deals. The last one I want to mention is wpbuilds.com forward slash advertise. And if you have a WordPress product or service that you would like to put in front of a WordPress specific audience, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Then go to wpbuilds.com advertise and you can find out about ways that you can leverage the WP Builds podcast a bit like ACF have done. Want to build anything with WordPress? With the Advanced Custom Fields plugin by your side, you can take full control of your WordPress edit screens and custom field data. With a few clicks, you can add extra fields to all sorts of admin pages, including posts, taxonomies, users, and now even Gutenberg blocks. They also provide an intuitive PHP API, which makes WordPress development a dream. If you've never tried it, well, now's the time. Visit advancedcustomfields.com forward slash pro. And we do thank Advanced Custom Fields for helping us to put on the WP Builds podcast. Okay, let's get to the podcast proper, shall we? It's episode number 167. It's a chat with Marius Vitrici, and it's all about agile development. I chatted with Marius on a different podcast that I do, as you'll find out, and we got into the subject of whether he should come onto WP Builds and talk about the work that he does with his agency. He's got a sizable agency, and he's had some horror stories in the past in which he's basically bid for work and agreed to do it, and then had complete disasters 
because he didn't really have a grip on the process. And so now he's using Agile to make all of that happen. So we talk about the usual things. We talk about the sprints and the user journeys and how the whole methodology can be deployed very effectively with WordPress as a simple, cheap way of getting a minimum viable product together. It's not something we've really talked about before, and I definitely learnt a lot. And so, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello there, welcome to the WP Builds podcast once more. Thanks for getting to the, the interview part. Um, I'm talking today to Marius Vitrici. Hi there, Marius. Hello, hello. Hi, now, Nathan. Yeah, thanks Thanks for coming on, Marius. This is going to be an interesting chat. Marius and I have actually talked about a, a really very different subject over on a different podcast that I do, the, the WP and Up podcast. And over there, we talked for oh, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes about um, meditation. And after we'd had that chat, we uh, we decided it would be nice to to do something, let's say, a little bit more WordPressy. So he's come on to WP Builds today. But we've probably been talking for about 40 minutes prior to this. And the, the, the conversation was enormously rangy. We talked about all sorts, nothing to do with WordPress um, and all sorts of things to do with WordPress. So we we really don't know where this conversation is going to go, but Marius strikes me as a very thoughtful, contemplative kind of chap, and uh, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll get in some real interesting stuff. But ostensibly, we are going to be talking about uh, agile WordPress development. Um, we'll hopefully give you some practical um, sort of case studies for some of the things that Marius has built in the recent past, and so on. Um, and then also we might guide you towards a page where you can find out more from Marius. He's got um, an ebook which you can download, and maybe if your conversation piques your interest, uh, you can you can find out more about that as well. But um, so Marius, let's begin. You've got this post called Agile WordPress Development: How to Maximize the Return on Investment or ROI on your MVP website. Do you want to tell us what what it was that inspired you to write this this lengthy post? <laughs> yeah, it was pain, Nathan. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was the pain of spending a ton of money building the wrong thing. Yeah, the, I mean, the first yeah. line is something. Yeah, it's a it's a jaw dropping amount of money. Uh, I might as well just say it. You spent two hundred thousand dollars on a product that never took off. That is quite galling, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it is. Well, it was in my twenties when. If you do outsourcing, your living costs are are very low, and and you, you're you're working as a developer, earning money, then easy come, easy go, you know. <laughs> but I wish I I knew 15 years ago what what I know now about uh, about listening to customers, listening to prospects, uh, understanding and empathizing with what they need, with their struggles. Uh, learning to choose what is a viable idea and what is just an idea that you have when you are having a shower in the morning and so on. Just just to give it some context, just to, to lend a bit of, um, well, I, I suppose just to, to understand what it was that went wrong. So you spent $200,000 building a product that never took off. Do you want to give us some very brief insight into what it was that you built and why it didn't take off now that you've got a you know a little bit of time between you and it. Yeah, sure. I was working on an inventory management software. Um, the 
problem that that I had is that we've been building this software as anything to everybody. Right. One day after a couple of months, I think even years of working on it, I looked at all our customers that are using uh, the, the software and we had literally 70, 70 different verticals. So there was no focus, no no specialization on anything. We've been literally, uh, be, we've been literally all over the place. Uh, too many features, uh, no focus, no clear messaging. So yeah, everybody would just say, yeah, nice software, user-friendly interface, but mm, this is not for me, because it was like a Swiss knife. It was just too general. And was this was this largely born out of the fact that you you didn't uh, you didn't have a methodology, or was it simply that you were kind of reacting to customer requests or uh, requesting, oh, well, we need this feature, and so you would then scurry away and build it, and oh, well, now we need this feature from a different customer, and so you didn't have that kind of oversight over it or process. That's precisely that's precisely how it went. Uh, we were, and I was very reactive. Uh, to to the requests, the requirements that uh, were coming from our customers, and without a lack of a, without a vision, with a lack of a vision, without knowing exactly where do I want to take this product, it was impossible to say if this request was legit or not. Do we want to do it or not? And with with a strategy problem because we had a clearly we had a business strategy problem everything else is super hard marketing is impossible sales are very hard to do because you don't know whom are you targeting mm -hmm. uh, support was a nightmare we had like literally hundreds of pages of of parameters for how to configure this feature that feature and and again I'm I'm straight I'm I cannot stress the importance of this. Unless I have a very good business strategy in place, everything else is just going to be very hard. Yeah, I suppose the bottom line is that if you don't know where you're going or what the direction of travel is or where you'd like to end up, let's put it that way, you're going to find it very hard to decline feature requests because you're not sure that the product shouldn't end up like that. Well, that seems like a, a reasonable request. Let's make the product like that, as opposed to, no, 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 no. That, that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, no, we're not going to add that feature in just yet. We'll stick it on the back burner somewhere, but we're not doing that because we're trying to get to this place instead. Without that oversight and that knowledge, um, I can imagine that things can easily get out of hand. <laughs> that's uh, Alice in Wonderland. Yes. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of describing it. So uh, after this uh, this sort of calamity, let's describe it as in your life, you decided to to write this article to give give people the benefit of your hindsight. So let's go through it then. I suppose that if we're building, um, so this could equally apply to a website as it could to, um, oh, I don't know, a SaaS app or something like that. What what are the what are the stages then that you would guide us through if we're about to launch something, we're thinking about launching something, or as you said, we're sitting, standing in the shower and, an, and the kernel of an idea pops into our head. Where should we begin on this journey? So that idea and 
you you will find a link uh, here at the bottom of the podcast to to a diagram. It's a Venn diagram. This idea is part of the third circle. Uh, it's a bluish circle. What I think the market needs. Um, but where I would proactively start now is I would meet with five to seven people, uh, then interview them and just have a chit chat with them about this particular struggle that I think they have or that I saw they have, mm-hmm. because I want to confirm, I want to personally understand the, how that challenge evolves. What is the daily routine when that challenge occurs? What that person is doing before the challenge occurs? What that person is doing while this challenge occurs? Is that person with somebody else or alone? Is that at home while driving? So specifically in in, in what context? Um, Without personally knowing three to five or seven people that have this, this challenge, I just wouldn't embark nowadays on on a new business idea so is the idea here you're trying to disassociate the problem that you have and the experience that you have and you're you're trying to get an audience of people who you believe have got the same problem and then tease out of them what the what the actual problem is not not what you think it is the way you experience it but the way collectively you all experience it find some sort of common ground Correct. And there's something like 20 years of research done on this topic by a very smart guy called Clayton Christensen. He is the one behind the disrupting innovation theory. But the one I'm mentioning today, it's, it's called the jobs to be done theory. So essentially, while interviewing these people, I should be now looking at the new product or service and looking at it as if that product or service, it's a person that's being hired to, to do a job, to fulfill a specific job in a specific context. So, for example, people would hire an iWatch for various jobs. Some might hire them to just check their time, but some would hire them for status for self-image, and that's a completely different job to be done. Mm-hmm. The other, some, some other people would hire an iWatch for getting notified. They need to be on top of their agenda, and, and so on. And there's a very famous example from his research about the milkshakes. So he discovered that McDonald's milkshakes were hired uh, by single people walking in around 8 a.m., and and then just quickly going out. And what they've discovered is people would use these milkshakes uh, while morning commutes because they are super boring and they need to spice up and to sweeten up the morning commute. So this is a very unique job to be done. Hmm. Yeah. Compared, I need to add this, compared to the same products, seemingly the same physical product, but which is bought by a father walking in during the weekend with his kid. Hmm. In that particular moment, the job to be done is the father wants to build a relationship with his kid, but then those milkshakes need to be smaller compared to the telecommuting milkshake because the father or the mother don't want to feel guilty about it. So coming back to the to, to your question, uh, looking for jobs to be done, 
looking for specific areas where people would employ employ that that service or or product so that would be the next step okay, okay? yeah yeah i'm following on yep yeah um the other thing very important and that's the, the third circle is what can i afford to build depending on the, the personal resources that that one has and by the way too much money is not always a good idea yes, yes. As, my case. <laughs> yeah, as you can demonstrate yes yeah i'm a living <laughs> walking example uh but again it's important to, to know what kind of budget do you want to invest in that so that would be the cir- the third circle and the intersection of those three circles what i think the market needs what the market actually needs and what they can afford to build I'm calling that small part and minimum viable product an MVP so basically an, an MVP it's um, it's a very simple version of the future product this very simple version is focusing on just one job to be done and it, it's doing it well and it allows my target market to actually test it and, and see if this is what they they really want. So the idea is that you're you're comparing what you think this product needs, what the other people think this product needs, and finally balancing it out with what you can actually afford to spend on it. And those three things combined um, reveal a much smaller product than you initially uh, began with, or at least that would be the intention. Something much smaller, much more confined, much more limited in scope, and that is where you should begin not the other way around. You shouldn't start building this product until you've got those valuable bits of data under your belt. Yeah, and I've got some figures from Fox we are working with uh, and doing product strategy advisory for them. They are saying product coding itself, it's around 30% of the effort. Mm -hmm. The rest is marketing and product strategy. It's interesting. So what I'm saying here is if this part with 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 like coding, the coding part is well, yeah, well, it's complex, it's engineering, it's oh my god. Well, wait until the next step, until you actually need to to ensure you have a business and mm. not a mere product. Mm. So where does this fit? Um, where does this fit then into to WordPress, if you like? So does this exact same philosophy that you've got here, this this MVP and the Venn diagram, which probably, by the way, you should pause this and go and look at the Venn diagram because it's hard to hard to understand what we're talking about unless you've seen that, and very simple to understand. Have uh, had you have seen it? The this could apply to the a website, for example, that you're building. Obviously, you know, if it's a simple brochure website with two pages, perhaps this is a bit overkill. But if you're um, if you're going to be building something complicated, maybe a, a complicated e-commerce store or a, a, a something brand new that the, the internet has never seen before, you're suggesting that that WordPress is, WordPress, excuse me, is a good place to be with this because it affords you. Um, the ability to build things much more quickly than if you start from scratch because of its plugin architecture. Yes, I think uh, WordPress it's a gold gem. Uh, it's a it has a huge opportunity as a as a platform for quickly building and, and launching 
uh, a new SaaS, a new MVP of a new SaaS uh, software as a service or an, an online service. Uh, people are using WordPress. Uh, there's already uh, a wave of people using WordPress to build clones, niche clones, niche clones of Airbnb, of Uber, of Udemy, Popwork, and, and so on. But instead of spending millions like those big companies did, you can launch something very quickly in just 60 days by leveraging the WordPress uh, plugin ecosystem. So this combination between the WordPress ecosystem and, and the very lean and agile approach, this is what I dubbed uh, agile WordPress development. Um, so in your case, you have direct experience of this. You You have, in fact, built... Um, platforms which in the end have got nothing to do with WordPress an example which comes to mind and I can't remember which one it is but there was one where you you used WordPress to to, to launch um, to get feedback to put a, a minimum set of features out using off-the-shelf plugins maybe premium maybe free I don't know and then after you'd gained that feedback, it then gave you a starting point where you, you began building it. I think it was Laravel uh, that you mentioned. And so WordPress at that point was was no longer required, but it, it gave you the the data that you needed, the, the feedback that you needed to judge whether this was a goer or not. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good example. You can you can start with WordPress and I would I would suggest uh Looking at this project, WordPress-based project, for a time window of one to two years. Right. In one or two years, there's enough time to test the idea, to get some traction, and most importantly, to start making some money. When when the business is taking off and and you are able to reinvest it, then you can reevaluate uh, based on where business is going, uh, is WordPress still a good solution? And it might be a still a good solution. There are very, very large websites that are, are running WordPress after years and years. Or you might want to switch to a custom-based uh, solution, a more low-level technology. It could be Laravel, but it also could be .NET or Java. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because you, you on, on the... On the article that I'm going to link to first, we, we talk about how to how a, an MVP will maximize your return on investment. So that's all the stuff that we've talked about thus far. And then you give three examples, which I presume are examples that you, that you yourself and your company have built. One was a website called uh, caregivercareers.com, where it started out on WordPress. Um, and then it, it, you put in WooCommerce subscriptions. It didn't take a lot of time, but but th this was a successful business. And then it went on to use WordPress for the website, but the subscriptions went over to Infusionsoft. So that was a an example where it, it all worked swimmingly. Then there was another one where you have luxurybuystoday.com, social CRM website. You built it off WordPress just for a fast launch. Again, got lots of data. And then it was decided to move that project over to, to Laravel. So, you know, by that point, you've gathered all the features that you need and you've decided what you don't need and so on. And then also, interestingly, you mentioned one called Baba, B-A-B-A-A dot -A 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 me, which was a, a WordPress powered concierge, concierge service. 
And quite quite interestingly, that one just simply didn't work. There was no traction, and so it was shot down before the spend got too much. This is the, uh, I guess the, the, the you know the, what you mess what you talked about right at the beginning about the two hundred dollars. This is the, uh, the 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 message to learn here. This one just it's not working. We've spent a very small amount of money on it. We've used WordPress to do that. It's not working. Let's shut it down, move on, come up with a different idea. So there are three solid examples that, that you can point to that you've been involved in um, to justify this as, a, as an approach. Yeah, and well, the figures are there. Around seven or eight out of 10 new business tools will fail within the first five years. So why why not fail fast and as convenient as possible. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, to give to give uh, our listeners more inspiration, let's look at those businesses that are still alive and kicking. Mm. And by the way, the MVP approach, the Agile WordPress development approach, is going very well hand in hand with recurring revenue businesses. And there are so many business interesting business models out there, and um, there's another article um, that that lists, uh, I think, nine case studies. Uh, for example, one of them, it's a clone of Udemy, mm. uh, where a piano teacher is teaching piano lessons online. It's a French website, so the lessons are taught in French. But nevertheless, it's, it's alive and kicking, and, and there are recurring subscriptions being paid. Uh, um, by by all those who want to learn, and then there is a very interesting example called Askademic with A S K Askademic.com. This is an online platform that connects teachers to students. It's mm. like an Uber for teachers and, and students. Nice. WordPress WordPress powered. And then there's um, a very interesting membership uh, website. But this one is more similar to Team Tree House, where you come in and learn stuff. But these guys, uh, the guys from beautycoach.com, they are educating makeup artists and stylists on the latest techniques, uh, on latest beauty and, and makeup techniques. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then there are job... Uh, job websites um, like clones of monster then we have there's a real boom of of marketplaces clones of 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 uber or fiverr of upwork we you, you will find in the article uh, jobalter.com yeah. and and so on uh, and yeah, last but not least, um, you've probably heard about the dollarshaveclub.com. So basically websites that are delivering uh, on a regular basis some physical stuff to your door. Yeah, yeah. And we have here an example that would deliver you coffee from ferriscoffee.com. Uh, in the past, we've worked on a website uh, which would deliver toothbrushes oh wow that's really niche yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and then there's uh the niche for dog food and dog treats being delivered to your door yeah yeah it's it's very interesting so you you believe that wordpress is a good place to start these things out um by the way i will link um down in the show notes to the the nine resources that 
Arius has just been talking about. They're all laid bare uh, in an article that he's written and uh, subscription comes through very strongly. But you believe that um, in certain situations, WordPress is the perfect place to begin this journey because of its um, plugin architecture and the fact that a lot of the code has been written for you. Because as you said, <clears throat> although it's not all of the cost, it is a significant amount. Maybe 30% will be um, during the product's life cycle. It might be on coding. But you also sound some alarm bells because clearly if you're using plugins, you're not necessarily going to get everything that you want out of it because it's not designed specifically for your exact platform. The The needs that you need may may not be in there. But also you you sound the alarm that some plugins are, well, to, to, to be blunt about it, better than others. Yeah, some plugins are more equal than, than others. <laughs> Um, because plugins have been written by human beings with various degrees of skills and, and, and knowledge. So, yeah, by, by leveraging, leveraging the plugin ecosystem, we can think about it as, as of a Lego. If you have a Lego for assembling a plane and a Lego for assembling um, and a Lego set for assembling a helicopter, you can probably assemble maybe a rocket or something al along the lines mm -hmm. if you are a kid and you like to play with that. But if you try to maybe assemble, I don't know, something like... Um, oh, I'm going to say the Millennium bicycle. Falcon. <laughs> yeah, the Millennium Falcon. It might be a bit further and then you might need a bit of, of paper and glue and other things. So uh, exploring this metaphor, uh, it, it's about using and choosing the right plugins. And I'll get back to that in a second. But besides the right plugins, um, you need to wire them up. Every business, obviously, every business is, is unique. And those plugins are, are solving some general patterns, some general jobs to be done. In in your particular case, you, you'll use plugin ABC, for example, you'll use WooCommerce subscriptions and WooCommerce memberships, but then you want the lessons, and that's a very specific example, so you want the lessons, your lessons on your membership website uh, to be published, even if, if you've signed up during the month uh, that a lesson was published, but you've signed it after the lesson was published. Mm. Well, maybe you would like to give access to all the lessons that have been published during that year, just as an incentive. So these kind of small things, small variations in your business process will require some some custom plugin development. Some, for this, you will need a WordPress expert that will, will be knowledgeable, that will have some credentials, that will respect the WordPress coding standards, and that will create uh, a new plugin. In no case, he should change the code of existing plugins. That's a big no. So uh, he will create a new plugin, a new custom plugin that will basically wire up together, glue up together those, those uh, features that you already have. 
Um, and have you found this approach to be very successful? Then you've you've used WordPress, and you, I, I guess the answer is yes because you're you know you're writing these articles about it. But you, you still do this if somebody comes with a very elaborate plan. Your first port of call is WordPress and a trusted bank of plugins that you found to be reliable, stable, easy to work with, highly updated, and so on. Could you please repeat your question? Nathan? Yeah, no, that's fine. So I was just saying this this is something that you still do to this day. Um, and what I mean by that is you've you've written this article, you know, um, about doing it this way. You, you still espouse this. You still think this is the way to do it. Begin with WordPress just because there's a value, uh, there's a saving in it because you get that part for free. Use some cheap plugins. Um, th this this is always the solution. I think that's basically my question. Is this always the way that you begin, or are there any situations where you say, "Look, forget it. Just start with Laravel. Start by coding it from scratch." Um, are there any situations where WordPress maybe isn't the right fit? Um. So WordPress. As any other tool, it is it is good to a certain extent. And if your particular project is a very custom, super custom project, and there is no plugin that would remotely resemble what are you trying to do, then maybe maybe you just want to to hand code that from scratch because uh, customizing uh, an existing plugin would probably take you. Uh, as much time as it would take you to build it from scratch. Mm. Mm. Um, so you, you reckon that two years is a decent amount of time for this MVP website to be up and running before you decide what to do. In your experience, after that two years has passed, I mean, it seems that some people carry on using WordPress, other people there's clearly an economic advantage to keeping this service going. Um, I suppose at that point, you just have to look at the data and work out whether the, the cost of having it built from scratch at that point is actually worth it. Or can we sort of model through with, with WordPress um, rather than having something utterly, completely bespoke? Yes, the numbers the numbers will, will show you uh, what would be the best decision at, at that uh, moment. Um, one thing that needs to be taken into account with WordPress, and that's, I might say, a shady and dark side of WordPress, and I still want to, we talk about this with our customers, is, yeah, very nice, you have a quick uh, and quickly rising curve of launching this product using WordPress, but the more plugins you will add to your website and the more paper and glue you you would add to your website, mm -hmm. the harder down the road, road it will be to maintain that website. And by that, what I mean is if you, in, in plain words, if you have five plugins on your website and one custom plugin that's gluing them up together and then you need to update those plugins, it will be one effort to make sure the website is still working after the update. But if you, God forbid, have 50 plugins, 5.0, and you update, um, you update all the plugins, then chances that something will break up, chances that there will be an incompatibility uh, between those plugins down the road are very, very high. Mm -hmm. 
and the reality shows that uh, it's it's <laughs> it's a good KPI to to look at the number of of WordPress plugins that you have. So that <laughs> if if you probably hit more than uh, a number of more than I would say just from from out of my head more than twenty, you should probably. Uh, thinking seriously about reducing the number or switching to to a more custom approach, mm-hmm. which could involve which could involve taking out five or seven plugins and just coding your own plugin, uh, coding uh, only a, a set of those features for your own use, so that you don't have to constantly update those. Yeah. Or you might consider a, a full rewrite. Well, a full rewrite, it's it's um, risky in itself. It has its own risks. But again, based on the numbers that and the profitability that you have, that might make sense. Mm. Let's, let's turn the conversation around a little bit and talk about the the, the notion of agile. This is, a, this is a term which crops up all the time. And the, the audience that we have, I'm sure many people will have a deep and very um, granular understanding of what agile development means, whether that's with WordPress or, or anything else. But um, I'm sure there are many people who are freelance, who just build websites with WordPress for themselves and have perhaps never encountered this apart from hearing about it. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind explaining your understanding of what agile development means in the specific context of of WordPress, I suppose. Sure. Uh, It's a methodology that we put up together by getting inspiration from from Scrum methodology with with Kanban. Um, Essentially, uh, being agile in, in my view means to work in short sprints and to deliver tangible results at the end of of every sprint. Uh, A sprint is essentially a bucket of man hours. Uh, It's a budget of of man hours that somebody is, is allocating. A sprint could be anything between two weeks, maybe four weeks. Uh, It's not recommended to go with more. And basically for every sprint, um, you need to decide uh, what features, what more specifically user stories would would you like to to have. And the user stories have a very specific uh, format. The user story is like a thin sliced feature describing what has to be achieved. Um, for example, as as a um, registered visitor, I want to uh, filter the events by starting date and end date mm-hmm. because that will allow me to quickly find the events I want to go to. Does it always so, follow that that exact um, that pattern? The sentence is always the same. Um, I, I, I can't exactly repeat it to you, but because because I am such and such, I want to do this because it is always that exact way of phrasing it. There's a reason for this recommendation. Uh, the first component of this sentence is the role. Mm-hmm. And when I'm saying the role, I mean the user role. There could be 
anonymous users, they could be registered users, that could be, for example, it could, they could be teachers as a role on a platform, they could be admins and there could be pupils. Or on another platform, they could be doctors and patients. Okay? Yep. So as a user role, then I want to, that's the goal, the desire, mm -hmm. so that the benefit. The benefit is important because it's it, it allows one to connect with uh, the job to be done and the broader view, the, the, the higher purpose of, of, of this seemingly tiny feature. Mm. Uh, one specific uh, characteristic of a user story is, I'm repeating myself, but it's important to, to make it thin sliced. So you imagine you, you have a multi-layered cake, a real cake with chocolate, uh, with cream, with strawberries, and then you are cutting from top to bottom a thin slice of this feature. So these layers are all the layers from the user interface going to the data layer, uh, which is the the cream between the the cake layer and going as far as down as to the database fields, which are the strawberries at the bottom <laughs> like of, of the cake. So very important, a user story, add, it doesn't add a new page. It won't add a huge feature, an entire calendar. A user story will just add a new field, mm. one or two fields, but from top to bottom across the entire system. Why is this important? Because after a user story is delivered, it needs to be able, it, it should be testable. It needs to be deployable. So you could potentially put it uh, live and let your users test it. And why it's important again, you know, the ask why, <laughs> ask why three times. Um, to get to the root cause. This is important because it's so easy to get delusional, delusional yeah. about what your market actually needs. And the faster you can get real feedback, the faster you can connect with the reality, with real people, real needs, uh, the better your decisions will be. So... That's how they reinforce each other. So is the uh, idea then to collect um, a whole bunch of these user stories um, with, as you say, very thinly sliced, you know, nothing too transformational, just a little tiny amendment that we could make, phrase it in this correct way, and then gather up a, a dozen, half a dozen, 20, 30, whatever that number might be of these user journeys, and then in some way kind of prioritize them and see see what what's going to deliver the most um the, the most value back to the platform that might be i suppose in terms of uh return financial return or the ease of use or whatever it might be and then in some way order them put them in you know number one number two number three number four and so on and then work on the one which somehow manages to float to the top nobody has an infinite budget I even though who think they have an infinite budget they <laughs> yeah. better set a cap they would better set a limit on it and what you're what you're what you're uh, saying now it's called a product backlog 
in my early years, I was doing just the way you would describe it. I would collect everything there. Any idea that would pop up or that would come from a customer, I would just collect it on a, our product backlog. Mm-hmm. And then when we, we would plan the next sprint, we would, we would choose just the right amount of features that would go into the sprint backlog. Mm-hmm. This is very similar to having a rucksack or a backpack and trying to fill it with with rocks. Imagine you have a huge pile of rocks and you just need to take just the right amount of rocks in order to maximize the, the volume, the carrying capacity of that rucksack, of that backpack. It's a classical... Uh, computer science uh, uh, challenge and, yep. and problem. Yep. And coming back to to agile discussion, um, nowadays I'm probably more inspired from from days camps methodology and their new book, which by the way, really recommend you read. Mm. It's called Shape Up. Mm. Uh, these guys would filter even even their product backlog through their vision. So something won't even land in their product backlog if they know they're not going to implement that thing ever. Right. That's just to keep it off the table, keep keep your mental bandwidth available. They are keeping it in the memory of their customers. Right. Uh, uh, That is to say, if something is really important for enough customers it will keep getting back and getting back to us and then we we will uh, look at it through the jobs to be done lens and see if there's a job that needs to be fixed there mm-hmm. but other otherwise yeah uh, collecting uh, uh, user stories on your product backlog is healthy just filter them through your product vision where do you want to take this product in one or two two years and then before a sprint would start, obviously one needs to fill in the, the rucksack, the backpack with, with rocks. So we need to choose just the right amount of features that would go into that sprint. And the way the way we help um, um, our customers do that is we ask them this this one question, which is, how much money do you think this feature will bring you within the next 12 months? Nice. And, and then they would rank uh, the amount of money from, with something like 1 to 10. And that is the, the value that they will be getting. Mm. Now, as a next step, we come in and we say, we label, we basically rank the features uh by by indicating if this feature is a low complexity medium or high complexity feature and we can even assign some monetary values to low medium and high but essentially um when when you see a list of user stories uh with these two fields low medium high being the first one, so the complexity, and the other one being the the value that they'll be getting you can easily spot uh, and you can even even sort uh, those features which would return the maximum value but will require the least amount of effort. 
obviously, if, if you have a membership website and you think, oh, it would be great to add a one-on-one -on -one coaching feature uh, for 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 uh, um, our members to, to use, to, to get some coaching and to pay for it. And if that's a high-complexity feature that would, I don't know, would take 10 grants to, to build, mm -hmm. uh, but then the return on investment for that feature is within the next year, probably around three out of 10, then you would probably be better off with a 5K feature, which will be 10 out of 10 in terms mm. of return on investment. Mm. This is like a very quick tool that helps separate the waters. Uh, what goes to the left, what goes to the right, what goes into the next print, what, what stays for later. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, um, it's, it's like an ingenious method. I was just wondering if the the return on the investment against the complexity is, is in your experience, is that always the best way of filtering these things? Or sometimes is there another factor other than return on investment? So, for example, um, I don't know, the, the, the convenience that it might bring or the time spent on the website might increase as a result of this particular action. Or do you always, in your setup, do you always judge it against um, actual dollars returned? I encourage the customers to think about dollars, returned dollars, because even if there's an intermediary goal, like time on website or lower bounce rate or uh, lower churn user churn rate, mm. at the end of the day, that will still translate into a monetary value. Mm. And like, they, like it or not, these people are doing a business. Mm. They are taking some money out of their family, their kids, their investors, their banks, and, and investing. Mm. And Every feature, that might sound obvious, but every feature that you are building will mean some dollars. Every dollar you would save will go into your profit. If you will save $5 on this feature, at the end of the year, you'll have $5 extra profit. Mm. This is like a very simple and obvious thing, but me personally, maybe some others, we tend to forget about this from time mm. to time. So you, when you're doing this, you you advise um, fairly short sprints, anywhere between. I can't remember what you said. Was it you know a, a few weeks up to possibly be, a month or be, so? It could be between. Uh, we are doing sprints of five days. It could be sprints of two weeks, or maybe one month. I. Would and, not go with more than one month. Okay, and is there any is there any scope for doing things concurrently? So, for example, are you are you lining up the next sprint as you're approaching the end of the current sprint, or do you always reach the end of the sprint before you will even begin work on the next one? We are collecting the ideas into the backlog mm -hmm. if they are worth keeping, worth collecting. But other than that, we we focus on the current sprint because it's so easily to get distracted by shiny things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just wondering if you if you had any. Obviously, you've you've just come up with a lot of this stuff that works for you, but presumably at various points along your journey, discovering how all this works for you, you've taken some um, insights from other people. I'm wondering if you could point us in the direction of 
maybe some author, apart, you, you mentioned Basecamp and all the work that they do, but maybe some author or resource website, whatever it might be, where we could find out more. Obviously, we'll be linking to your own articles over at wpriders.com, but something aside from that. Sure. Um, actually, we are going to publish a series of articles. They are based on some learning, practical stuff and, and research and books. Uh, first thing first, I would recommend Adele Rivella's book, Buyer Personas, because she is literally giving out uh, scripts, methodology, texts, phone calls, how to approach customers uh, prospect customers and how to understand what typology, what persona are those customers. Uh, then, uh, as a next step, I would go with Clayton Christensen's book, uh, Competing Against Luck, which goes into great details about um, the jobs to be done theory. And I will I will give you links okay, about that. You. Yeah. Um, the next thing, once once you know whom are you talking to, and what problem do you want to fix for them, the next thing I would focus on is uh, clarify the story brand book with a subtitle "Clarify Your Message So Customers Would Listen." Okay. That sounds story, good. Story brand book. It's by Miller, Donald Miller. Okay. And lastly, there's a very, very good uh, research paper about business strategy, which I found, find it very practical. Um, I, I will give you the link. It's a research paper in entitled in a very suggestive way are you sure you have a strategy and <laughs> that sums yeah, it up. yeah. Uh, there will be again uh, an article of uh, as part of this uh, business and product strategy uh, series that I will I will uh, post uh, down the under the podcast but essentially um, a strategy has five components number one economic logic how are we going to make money or what job are we going to to serve to fulfill that's my addition with and the link with with the jobs to be done but i see the jobs to be done at the core of the strategy mm -hmm. and then is where the arenas where where are we going to compete that is what kind of categories segments geographical areas product types Next, we need to think about the vehicles. That's the next component. Um, so the vehicles will tell us how do we get there, the channels. Um, do we go through franchises? Do we go through partnerships? Do we go directly and so on? The next one, very important, is the differentiators. And essentially, that's the answer to the question, how am I going to win there mm. at that game? And lastly, the staging. The staging shows how fast should I go there to that market, or in what in what steps. It's 
not all the businesses want you to go everywhere at once. For example, Uber, they launched initially in USA mm. and they, they went to this country and then to that country. But some companies, I know from some specific case studies, they just failed because they went too fast to too many countries. Mm. So they had a good strategy, but they lacked, they, they were weak at the staging part. Mm. Mm. Um. It's it's a really fascinating area. I know that sadly you've got um you've got to go in a couple of minutes, so we are going to have to wrap things up. But um, as a freelancer, it's not something that I've particularly delved into uh, a, a great deal. You know, I've I've read a, a few of the the things that you're mentioning and tried to get a grip on it and what have you. But I'm sure that for a lot of our audience, this will be just just really an intriguing um, an intriguing discussion. And those people who obviously are, are doing this stuff on a day-to-day basis, you know, maybe some of those books that you've mentioned and articles are new to them. Where can we where can we actually find you, though? Should somebody be interested in chatting to you and following up something that you've just mentioned? Have you got any, um, have you got any Twitter handles or website contact forms that you want to point us to? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I can be, I can be found at wpriders.com. That's in in one word. It's the the agency I'm running. It's a twelve people agency, and we we are doing advanced WordPress development projects. And then I can be found on on Twitter or LinkedIn. Just Google Google my name. Okay. Okay. Um, Marius, fascinating. I feel like we've just begun this chat and yet we're having to end it. So I, I, like a million more questions and things <laughs> that I could talk about. But f- for now, that's that's really all that you, both you and I have got time for. So um, thanks for joining us today. And uh, I, I hope that people will get in touch and follow follow you up in some way, shape or form and keep the conversation going. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And I wish you a lot of success with with launching new new businesses and new platforms well there you go i hope you enjoyed that episode i certainly learned an awful lot i have to say this is not an area that i would rate myself as in any way an expert so it was nice chatting to marius all about this kind of stuff and uh, like i say i learned a lot he's very calm and he delivers his solutions in a really clear thoughtful way the wp builds podcast is brought to you today by wp and up one in four of us will be directly affected by mental health-related illness. WP and Up supports and promotes positive mental health within the WordPress community. This is achieved through mentorship, events, training and counselling. Please help enable WP and Up by visiting wpandup.org forward slash give. Okay, as I said at the top of the podcast, please head over to wpbuilds.com, our website. Over there, you're going to find a ton of information about the stuff that we do. So there's the podcast that you're listening to, two things on a Monday, the news and the live news, and all sorts of other things in between. I'm going to fade in some cheesy music, as I always do, and hopefully we'll see you at some point this week. And if not, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now.